Hello again, and welcome to the Messages podcast of Newbury Park First Christian Church. We're glad you're listening because we believe that constant contact with the Word of God, obviously handled with the right heart, can really change your life and can help you adopt the kingdom of God into every part of your daily rhythm. Today's podcast is from a series called Resolve, based on the book of Daniel. Just as Daniel found himself in the middle of a culture that was quickly flowing away from God's design, we can learn from his example how to resolve to follow the Lord no matter what and thrive as a result. So be blessed today as you receive this word. So, you know, as we're going through uh, Daniel, um, one of the things I realized is, is um, it's, it's harder and harder to find certain materials because a lot of people love going through Daniel up to about chapter 6, and then they dive off, right? They're like, I'm, I, I'm out, right? And so we're, but, but that's not the way we work around here. We're just diving through and working through even some passages of Scripture that are, are um, a little bit of a struggle to understand. Um, but we're, we'll do our best, as always, to, um, to try to look at it and see where, where do we see Christ in this and what does he expect from us since he is um, Lord of our life. Um, but it, it all comes down to perspective. Like, for instance, if I put this um, up on the screen, um, what, what number do you see first? Just yell it out. Yeah, so I have this theory. So for you people over here, how many of you said it was six? How many nine? Wow, okay. How many six? How many nine? Okay, wow. Half a, we're like, right, okay, you guys. How many six? How many nine? Yeah, we're like right down the middle. Isn't it, I, I have this weird theory because I tried it, right? I was like, I thought over here that you guys would see it this way and think it was nine, and you guys over here would think it was six, but I guess you aren't tilting your head, so I guess that's not working, so. Um, but this, this is where I thought about this. I got this cartoon, right? It, it just depends on which side of it you're on, right? But then my favorite, my favorite, this little cartoon, I love this one. Here's the guy. He, he's all excited because there's a boat. The guy in the boat's all excited because there's land, there's land out there, right? It all depends, right? It all depends on where you stand and what your perspective is. And the same thing happens. Now, I, having said that, um, there are lots of different views. And you can go out and find lots of different people saying lots of different things about these last chapters of the book of Daniel. But let's be sure of this. God's perspective is the only one that really matters. Right? You, you can come up with your theory. You can come up and you can get your calculator out, which I did this week right? And you can try to add up numbers and try to do all kinds of things, but unless God gives you directly the information, um, you could come up with all kinds of things and you would most likely be wrong. Uh, it's only God's perspective that we're after. And I know that last week and then again this week, and by the way, next week too, it, it's going to feel a lot like a history lesson. Um, how, how, many of you, how many of you love history? I just want to see all you history lovers in the room. All right, raise your hand high, be proud, right? Okay, how many of you hate history, okay? I just want to know, you got to know the room, right? You got, you got to know the room. So, okay, good. We have a good number that like history. Okay, so how many of you like English, okay? I love you people. And isn't it funny? It's the opposite ones, right? I love you people because English, I, I, yeah, I, I just can't do it. So, um, so I'm grateful for people who can do the things well that I can't do, um, but, but, we're going through, and a lot of this Daniel chapter 7 through the end of the chapter, it's a lot about history, a lot about things that are happening 
a lot about things that have happened, and there are some things that will continue to happen. But let's all remember this, that the whole idea of history is that it really is his story working itself out in mankind, right, and in the time that we have here. And so we want to ask the question, okay, yes, that's nice to know the history back then. It's nice to think about the history out there. But like we just sang about, what about now? Because that really, it, we could answer all the questions about what did happen or what's going to happen. But what about now? What about now and how are we supposed to respond to that? And so we want to take, uh, always have that view towards how should we live this out now? So let's dive into Daniel chapter 8, starting in verse 1, where again, Daniel has another vision. It says, verse uh, 1, it says, In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision after the one I already, uh, uh, one that had already appeared to me. So, in other words, the one that we talked about last week in, in chapter 7. So two years have lapsed. since Daniel's first apocalyptic dream that we talked about last week. Daniel has another vision. Remember, now we're reading Daniel's dream journal, right? We're we're taking a look at these dreams, these visions that Daniel had. And and so all of this happened before Daniel chapter 5, okay? So all of this happened before Daniel chapter 5 where Belshazzar, who is now king, ends up being overthrown, killed, and the Medes and the Persians took over. So it kind of, kind of messes up the history there, because remember, we go up through chapter 6, then there's a clean break, and then Daniel says, okay, I'm going to go back and look at these dreams and visions that I had, that I had back here, right? Um, so in, then in verse 2, he says, in my vision, I saw myself in the citadel of Susa, in the province of Elam, in the, in the vision, I was beside the Eli Canal. Now, you might think, like, what does that have to do with anything? Well, after the fall of Belshazzar and the Babylonian Empire, the, the Medo-Persian Empire took over, and the city of Susa became the main capital of the Persian Empire in what is today modern-day Iran. Um, the city of Susa is the same city where Queen Esther, if you read the book of Esther, where Esther was when she was there, you know, and ends up being the, the wife of um, Artaxerxes. And so, uh, and it's also the place where Nehemiah, if you remember the Old Testament uh, guy, Nehemiah, where he was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes and then asked, hey, can I go back? So that's all happening in the same, in the same place. So then, um, and the, the Ulai Canal um, was really kind of an amazing feat. It, it definitely demonstrated the power um, and the ingenuity of the Medo-Persian Empire because um, the Tigris River was about 150 miles away from Susa, and these guys dug this amazing canal and aqueduct system to bring water 150 miles. Okay, and you got to remember, these guys have no tractors right? They, they can't even go to Home Depot and get a shovel, right? So, but they dug all of this out and made this 150-mile canal um, to bring water into, into their capital city. And what was thought was is that, you know, who could, be, who could possibly overthrow the Babylonians? Well, as we found out a couple of weeks ago, the Medes and the Persians did. And so then they took their place and everybody was like, who could possibly defeat the Persian army especially, they had a two-million-man army under Xerxes. Um, and these guys would just roll through places and just crushing their enemies and just taking over. Um, so they had this massive, massive army. And no one thought 
No one had thought that Babylon could fall, and now no one thought that Persia could fall. Kind of like nobody in their right mind at the moment might think, oh, yeah, the U.S. could fall, right? Unless, of course, we're talking about um, men's World Cup soccer, then we know that the then we know that the, the men will find a way to lose, right? So, um, but here, here's the whole thing. Say, nobody anticipates that this is going to happen. And I think that's the one thing that we, that we need to take away from this is that when it comes to history, um, just what you see from your perspective, the, the thoughts that you have right now, like, oh, yeah, no, we're all good, right? Yeah, things might be rough, but, hey, we're all good. We're solid, right? Um, that's not always the case. And, and we have to deal with the realities that, hey, guess what? When God decides that a, a country or a government's time is up, it's up. And you remember a couple of weeks ago, Belshazzar, man, he, that guy's partying it up. He's thinking everything's great. And that night, boom, it's all over. It can all happen that fast. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we prepared for all of that? right? Where, where do you put all of your hopes and dreams? Um, where, where is it that you put your security? Because everything that we think about, I mean, everything could, could just go away really quick. And the question is, are, are your hopes, are your dreams, who holds those? I, I sure hope it's the Lord Jesus Christ, because he's the only one that is absolutely eternal. So let's take a look at the vision, uh, starting in verse 3. He says, I looked up and there before me was a ram with two horns, standing beside the canal. And the horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other, but grew up faster. I watched the ram as he charged towards the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against him, and none could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. Now remember, in apocalyptic literature, these animals and stuff, they usually represent kingdoms, right? And so last week we had those strange beasts. This week we have, you know, we have this ram. And then it, it even says here, no animal, okay, or no kingdom could stand up against it. That's kind of how you're reading this apocalyptic literature, literature. And then it says, and he did as he pleased and he became great, okay? Just think Medes and Persians, right? As I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat with a prominent horn between his eyes, think unicorn goat, Okay, I know, sounds weird, but just, you know, that's what you got to get in your head. He comes from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. And he didn't even tell us that this one had wings, like the ones last week. But he says he's moving so fast, he hardly touches, he doesn't even touch the ground. He came towards the two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the canal and charged at him with great rage. I saw him attack the ram ferociously, striking the ram and shattering his two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against him, and the goat knocked him to the ground and trampled on him, and none could rescue the ram from his power. The goat became very great, but at the height of his power, his large horn was broken off, and in its place, four prominent horns grew up towards the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came another horn, which started small, but grew in power to the south and to the east and towards the beautiful land. Beautiful land in apocalyptic literature, especially in the Bible, always Israel, okay? Just so the, towards the beautiful land. And then it says, it grew until it reached the host of heaven and it threw some of the starry hosts down to the earth and trampled on them. It set itself up to be great as the prince of the host. 
It took away the daily sacrifice from him, and the place of his sanctuary was brought low. Because of rebellion, the host of the saints and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did, and truth was thrown to the ground. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to him, How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the rebellion that causes desolation and the surrender of the sanctuary and the host that will be trampled underfoot. And he said to me, it will take 2,300 evenings and mornings. Then the sanctuary will be reconsecrated. So what we're about to find out is just like last week in chapter 7, this vision contains information that's already been shared to Daniel, but Daniel's going to get it in some more detail, right? He, uh, and, and that's one of the questions that I've wondered about, like, why, why is God keep God giving Daniel very similar information in a different form? I think it's so because as you look at things from a different perspective, you get to, you get to know it better, Right? Um, you, as you look at it from a different angle, you kind of, okay, this is starting to make sense. I think that's what God is doing. He's like, hey, last week I gave you this big picture of what's going to happen through these, through these uh, centuries. Now I'm going to narrow it down and tell you what's going to happen real soon. And so what we're about, uh, and, and so um, there's this whole thing about like the ram and the goat, right? And everybody's like asking like, well, who's the goat? Well, that's, that's kind of funny because everybody, that, that's a big phrase we toss around today, right? The goat right? The greatest of all time. And uh, there's been a lot of discussions lately about who is the GOAT. Like in basketball, is it LeBron or is it Michael Jordan, right? That was all over, that was all over ESPN, right? And um, uh, when when it comes to, um, when it comes to baseball, was it Sandy Koufax or Clayton Kershaw, right? And everyone's like, oh man, that's a hard one, right? I don't care because they're both Dodgers, right? But if, I, but if I was real, I'd have to say Pedro Martinez, okay? So anyways, but there's all of these things where like, who is the greatest of all time? The good news in all of this is that we don't even have to guess or debate it. Because in this chapter, God doesn't just leave it up for debate. He actually tells us. He actually gives us direct information. And, and, and have this in mind, 400 years before it happens. Okay, 400 years before some of this happens. Some will start to happen soon, but 400 years before these events start to happen. So let's take a look at the interpretation of the vision. So we're in verse 15 now of Daniel chapter 8. It says, While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there before me stood one who looked like a man. And I heard a man's voice calling from Eli, calling, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. As he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate. Son of man, he said to me, understand that the vision concerns the time of the end. And and that's where people start to go, you know, people fixate on like, you know, those last five words, the time of the end. And everyone's like, oh, okay, so this must be like the end when Jesus is coming back, right? Let me dial that back just a little bit, okay? Because is Jesus coming? Absolutely. Is he coming soon? I sure hope so. Um, I don't know when, but we're closer today than we were yesterday, right? So we know it's, we know it's going to happen. But, but a few things here that are really important out of that little passage. Number one, and we have this character that we meet here for the first time here, is Gabriel, right? And you may already think, oh, I, I've heard that before. I know who Gabriel is, right? Because Gabriel is this incredible, like, 
archangel, this messenger of God, right? He's usually the guy that delivers important messages. You've got different prominent angels. We won't go into all the angel, angelology or whatever today, but there's like Michael, who's the warrior, right? The commander of the, of the armies of heaven and all these other. You've got Gabriel. He's, he's like God's right hand, like messenger guy. If you need to know something, Gabriel's the guy that comes and tells you. Remember, he, Gabriel's the one that comes and tells Mary, hey, by the way, uh, you're going to have a baby, right? And then tells Joseph the same thing. Gabriel's like the information guy. And so the, the, the voice comes out, and we can only assume that that must be God who's saying, hey, Gabriel, give this guy the information. Tell him what this vision is all about, right? And so um, then uh, Gabriel tells Daniel that the vision concerns the time of the end. And again, many people are quick to jump in and say, oh, that must be final judgment. However, for a faithful Jew in this day, right, for a guy like Daniel, right, to, to, um, to talk about the end really meant to talk about the end of the exile, right, because that's all they can think about. And remember, apocalyptic literature, when it's written, it's kind of disguising, you know, certain things with other terminology about what's happening now for the people. And so when he talks about the time of the end, for Daniel, he's thinking, like, when is this exile thing going to be over? They know it was supposed to last 70 years, okay, because God had promised that. But he's like, hey, this is for the time of the end. And the end of the exile and the restoration of Jerusalem and the restoration of the temple and worship there, because that's what, for them, that's what worshiping God is all about. I don't think any of us realize, when we, when we really stop and we think about this, the privileges that we have. Um, and it's good on an Independence Day weekend to, to think about, like, the fact that we have incredible freedoms when it comes to worship. Daniel didn't have that. Daniel lived in a place where, man, as we saw over and over again, like, you know, he even gets thrown to the lions. Um, you know, there are still 13 different countries today around the world where Christianity is literally banned. Like, if you go there and you tell people, hey, I'm a Christian, it, it's very probable that, that you'll be thrown in jail. Um, I know when, when we got to go to Vietnam a couple years ago, you know, uh, I was talking to one of the missionaries we were with, Christopher, and he says, yeah, you just don't carry your Bible around. He says, because there's anti-conversion laws. If you go and you take your Bible, if, if you're just having a conversation with somebody on the street and Jesus comes up and you start talking about Jesus, that's fine. But if you have a Bible, then you're trying to convert them and they could just throw you in jail for that, Right? We, I mean, we, I think we don't, we need to make sure we don't take for granted the incredible freedoms and privileges that we have because any of those could be taken away at any time. I mean, what, what, what would happen? What would, what would you do as a follower of Jesus? If, what would you do if all of a sudden you, you couldn't have your Bible? What if all those were gathered up and done away with? What, what, if, what if we couldn't worship like this? What if, what if it became against the law to worship in here and they, they came and they guarded this place and anyone who set foot inside got thrown in jail? What, what would you do? Now, those of you who are in life group, you know exactly what to do, right? Little uh, little uh, sidelight for life groups there, right? You know exactly what to do. You call up the folks in your life group and you go, hey, let's all go to the park, right, and have worship, right? For those of you who don't, well, you need to find a life group, okay, just saying. So I think, again, what will it take for us as Christians here in the United States to fully appreciate the blessings that we have 
and not take them for granted. On a day like today, I think we really need to think about just these privileges that we have. Don't take them for granted because we need to hold on to those things because they're very delicate. And like I said, they could go away at any time. Now, as someone who loved God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, Daniel longed for the day when he would get to, when God would deliver his people out of captivity and let them go back and worship in Jerusalem, go back to the house of God, go back to the temple and worship. That was his greatest, deepest desire. And as believers today, here's a couple of questions for you to grapple with, okay? Because again, this is where this kind of hits home for us, is this. Do you truly long, do you truly long for the coming of Jesus? I mean, do, do, or, or is it just like, okay, that's a nice idea. I hope he waits until certain things happen, right? I mean, be honest with yourself. Like, think about that. I mean, are, are you passionate? Are you passionate about being in God's house each week to worship? Or, or, or is it just a thing that comes up every Sunday? You know, and you go, oh, yeah, that's what we do on Sunday, or, or are you just super passionate about like, man, I got to get to the house of God because I got I to gotta celebrate who God is, what he's done for me. I, I, I want to honor God with everything I have. I want to I celebrate and worship and let God know that I'm passionate about living life with him. Are, 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 I mean, are you really passionate about that? I think it's important for us to kind of grapple with some of that because Daniel, man, this guy was passionate about, you know, the, God's people getting back to the house of worship. I think our privileges and freedoms sometimes create in us kind of an apathy. We've been lulled into complacency oftentimes. And I, I'm sure, you know, I, I sure want Jesus to return, but, but I hope that I can enjoy all this life has to offer too, right? We kind of, we ride that fence. Think about how excited you were uh, as a kid to go on vacation, right? I, I remember, I don't know about you, I, I remember like not being able to sleep the night before, like, okay, we're going on vacation, right? And we would do these crazy road trips. And I was like, I couldn't sleep. And then the good thing was, I think it was all planned on purpose because then we would crash in the car on the way, right? And you parents know what, I, what I'm talking about. You know, are you excited to get up and, and get here to church on Sunday mornings? You see, folks, because I think Satan wants us to believe somehow, some way, that you can find fulfillment outside of a relationship with your heavenly father. We've been duped into, by the deceiver into thinking that the things of this world might just bring ultimate satisfaction. And, and, and that's something that we really have to weigh and think about. Like, where are we trying to find our ultimate fulfillment in life? I'm here to tell you today that your soul will never experience absolute fulfillment or peace outside of a life completely surrendered and worshiping the one true God. That's what you were created for. And until you align yourself with that, there is nothing in this world that will fill the void. We'll keep trying We'll keep trying to shove other stuff in to try to make ourselves like happy, to, to try to make our situations better, all those things. But you will never experience absolute peace and freedom and love until you surrender yourself into a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who will be there forever. 
And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And, and only after we're with him will we experience everything that we've been created to experience. I'll be honest, I, I think oftentimes we, we just get lazy when it comes sometimes to worship. Sometimes we, we just kind of wander in here, you know, and we're just, and I get it, everybody's, everybody's situations are different and stuff. And I remember having kids, oh my gosh, getting to, that, we finally had to go to the two car thing to get to church because I kind of had to be here early, right? But getting all the kids ready and getting all this stuff going, like that, that was always a challenge. But, but honestly, sometimes we, we just get lazy. We, we kind of trickle in, you know, when it's convenient or, or, you know, or we don't take seriously. You know, when I was growing up as a kid, church attendance was like a big deal for our family. And I love the fact that my dad, I, like we'd go on vacation, and, um, but there was no vacation from church, right? And I remember my dad saying, God doesn't take vacation. I was like, okay, that's good, right? Because if God took a vacation for very long, we'd all be in trouble. But I remember, we, we'd be going somewhere, and my dad would know he would, like, we'd pull into a city, we'd spend the night somewhere on a, on a Saturday night, and we'd get up the next morning, and we'd find a church, right? We'd find a place to go and worship. And, and what I loved about that was that my dad was teaching us that no matter what else we're doing out there, Nothing is more important that whenever you possibly can, you find yourself a place where you can celebrate and worship God with other believers. And guys, I got to tell you this as, as, as a pastor, and not just because I'm the guy that, you know, likes the fact that there's people sitting out there, right? But man, I worry about our kids. I worry about, do our, do our kids have that same passion? And, and what kind of example are we setting them when church can become an alternative for Sunday morning. Because it is not going to get easier for our children to worship and celebrate. This world will try to push that out of their lives. And we're gonna have to work harder than ever to make sure that we plant that firmly as a foundational part of their lives. Because the devil certainly doesn't want them here. That's why I love things like VBS, right? Get as much planted in them as we can. Now, so when Daniel thinks about this time of the end, he's, he's thinking of the total restoration of God's people, Israel, and their liberation from captivity and their opportunity to worship. So let's keep moving, right? Uh, verse 18. While he was speaking to me, I was in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And then he touched me and raised me to my feet. He said, I am going to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath. Because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end, right? Now, did you catch that? He says, this vision is telling you about the appointed time of the end, right? So he's talking again about the end thing. But then he goes on, he says, the two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. So all of a sudden, he just took final judgment off the plate there for the end time, right? Because he says, hey, this is about the end, but it's about Media and Persia, okay? So for those of you who are already at the Antichrist, slow down, okay? Just slow down, all right? Um, then in verse 21, the shaggy goat is the king of Greece. Again, you, you can't argue that, right? You got the Medes and the Persians, you got Greece. Those are the two characters, right? There's the, the ram and the goat. 
And so what's the answer to the question, who's the goat? Well, the ram is, or the goat is, okay? It, or Greece, I'm sorry. The Greece is the goat. So, and the large horn between his eyes is the first king, right? Horns on these animals always represent particular kings or crowns. And then the four horns that replace the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation but will not have the same power. Okay, so like, like I told you, he was going to get into more detail. Gabriel outright tells Daniel the kingdoms that are represented by the ram and the goat. There's some amazing history that Daniel prophesies about 300 to 380 years before it actually happens. And last week we gave you a, um, a chart, right? And now we're going to just keep adding to this chart. Back in Daniel chapter 2, we have the statue of gold, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome, right? Big picture. Then he kind of starts to narrow things down a little bit, okay, for Daniel in chapter 7, but we've got the same people, Babylon, the Medo-Persian Empire, Greece, and Roman Empire. Now in chapter 8, he narrows it down to just these two, right? He's talking about just the Medo-Persian Empire, okay, because at that point, Babylon's basically history, and the Greek Empire, right? And so he, he's trying, he's kind of honing in on the details. Now first, the first Greek colony, it's kind of interesting why these animals were picked. The first Greek colony was said to have been established when an oracle, okay, was an oracle that was a goat guided the, the people to Greece. And they built the first Greek city called Aegean, which was the goat city on the Aegean Sea right? So I, those, for those of you who are history buffs, you, you might understand some of that. Then Alexander the Great, right? His father, Philip of Macedon, was a great general and began the, began the conquest of all of Asia Minor. He told his son Alexander that he was a descendant of Hercules and Achilles and was destined to rule the world. Talk about high expectations for your kid, Right? As mentioned back in verse 5, Alexander the Great came from the west, and he moved so fast that, like he said, he barely touched the ground. This guy never stopped. He just conquer, 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 right? One of the fastest conquerings of the known world at the time. Alexander the Great just, with lightning speed, destroys everyone in his path. There's this ancient story that Alexander was moving eastward towards Persia, and he's heading to conquer India. And someone came out to meet him and actually gave him a scroll containing the writings of the book of Daniel and told him, this story is about you. And after reading it, Alexander was said to have fall, fell on the ground and worshipped. Kind of interesting, right? But true to the prophecy, as quick as he rose to power, Alexander died at the age of 33 years old. What happened... Um, you know, uh, is that he was heading to India, he caught malaria, and his great vice did him under. Um, because he got malaria and he wasn't feeling well, he basically started drinking, right? And he basically had a, had a problem with alcohol, and the guy finally drank himself to death out in the middle of nowhere between Persia and India somewhere, Right? One of the great accomplishments of Alexander's empire was what was called the Hellenization of the known world, okay? Hellenization meant the Greek culture, 
And so what, what happened was is everywhere Alexander went, he took the Greek culture with him. Now you're thinking, like, why is that so important? Alexander accomplished something that nobody else had accomplished, that the known world at that time all began to speak the same language. And it was this little language called Koine Greek, which is what your and my New Testament is written in. So one of the greatest accomplishments of Alexander the Great was opening up an opportunity for the entire known world at that time to be speaking one language and so that it could be written down and that we would have a history of this, but so that at the time when Jesus came, no matter where these apostles went, they could speak the language to everyone, right? And it was common all throughout the entire world at the time, which is, which is huge. And while Alexander thought he was conquering an empire for himself, he was simply a pawn used by God to prepare the world for the coming of Christ and the advancement of the gospel. From God's perspective, the most important reason for the Greek empire was to have one language that could be understood by the entire world so the gospel could advance rapidly. Okay? Let's keep going in the story. Verse 23. In the latter part of their reign, okay, well, oh, sorry, I, I missed a, a, a spot. So after Alexander, it says that the one horn, remember the crazy goat with the unicorn thing, right? The one horn breaks off and four others rise in its place. After Alexander dies, four of his generals took over. And there's a map here and it shows you where they took over. And um, so you had Cassander who takes care of most of the uh, Western Greek. Lysimachus um, takes over um, Eastern Greek. Um, Seleucius takes over the large part of Persia and even um, Israel, and then Ptolemies, they take care of Egypt, right? Now, that's really important because the guy who we want to pay attention to is this guy Seleucius and his descendants. Because one of his descendants is a guy that we talked about last week, Antiochus Epiphanes. So let's, we're going to dive into who this guy is. Verse 23, in the latter part of their reign, when the rebels have become completely wicked, a stern-faced king, a master of intrigue will arise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy the mighty men, um, the holy people, and he will cause deceit to prosper. He will consider himself superior, and when they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be destroyed but not by human power. We touched on him last week, but Antiochus Epiphanes, he rises out of the Seleucid Empire um, after Alexander's death. And, and he gave himself the title Epiphanes, which meant, basically, it meant God manifest, right? So he set, he set himself up as God, right? So again, it says he'll set himself up against the prince of princes, right? So it says, hey, he's setting himself up against God, and he's saying, hey, no, I'm God right? That's, that's why I'm ruling. The f interesting thing is the Jews called him Antiochus Epimenes, which means Antiochus the madman, right? So that, that's what they thought of him. In 171 BC, he marches into Jerusalem, and he told everyone he was coming in peace, but ends up killing 80,000 Jewish people. And then he sacrifices a pig, like we talked about last week, on the brazen altar in the temple area of Jerusalem. 
He forbade the Jews from celebrating the Sabbath or any of the other feasts like the Passover. He rounded up every copy of the Torah he could find and had them burned. This is what most scholars call in Scripture this abomination that brings desolation. Well, he rounded up all these copies of the Torah and then and burned them, and then he forbade worship, and he set up instead in the in the temple of Jerusalem, he sets up um, uh, altars to Jupiter and to Saturn, and makes the people there worship them. He forbids the Jews from practicing circumcision or any other Jewish act of worship. Again, could you imagine if someone walks in and says, "Yeah, you guys can't do this anymore. You got to worship something else." But at the height of his cruelty, Antiochus Epiphanes developed this sudden illness that caused him to die in absolute agony, and nobody knows what it was, which is interesting because in that passage it says, he will be destroyed, but not by human power, right? So here's this guy that comes in, and he messes things up, and he destroys everything, and he takes away temple worship, and, and in some ways... Now the Jews are getting even more impassioned about what's been taken away from them. And what scares me is like, will we have to wait until stuff starts getting taken away from us to, to start taking it seriously? So after his death, when the sacrifices are still being made to Jupiter in a small synagogue outside Jerusalem, there's this one priest, his name is Mattathias. And he, um, he had had enough, uh, of, and he took those people who were sacrificing to these false gods, and, and he started a revolt. The, the son of Judas Maccabeus, the, the Jews revolted in the Maccabean War, and they drove the Seleucid rulers out of Jerusalem in 165 BC, which, if you do the math, is 2,300 days from the time um, Antiochus desecrated the temple till the time when Judas Maccabeus and these other guys, they take the temple back, clean it up, and reconsecrate it. And when they reconsecrate it, they set aside eight days of cleansing of the temple. And so Judas Maccabeus and his brother Simon ordered that the lamps, the big menorah in the temple, be lit and kept burning for eight days, but there wasn't enough oil and so the big miracle was that God performed a miracle and he turned a little bit of oil into lasting for eight days. And that's where we get the Jewish celebration of Hanukkah, right? So for those of you who think, oh, why does that even exist? Well, it's part of history and part of what God was up to in some amazing ways. Now, there's people that come back and they say, oh, there's this man of intrigue. There's all these things. Um, you know, could this be the Antichrist? Well, will, will, there be, will there be governments and, and rulers around the world that will set them up against Christ? Absolutely. It's, it's happening today, right? I'm, I mean, will, will there be people who consistently act in ways that are against Christ? Yeah, that, that will happen until the end comes. And, and you got to remember that there's always these pictures, there's always these amazing foreshadowings of things that will come. But when you jump into Daniel chapter 8, you have to remember that these things were happening then, but it doesn't mean that similar things won't happen later, right? Because things are going to get worse before they get better. So Daniel chapter 8 verse 26, we'll wrap it up here and says this, um, 
The visions of the evenings and mornings that has been given to you is true, but seal up the vision for it concerns the distant future. Daniel's vision came to reality 400 years later. Think about it. That's, that's longer than we've been a country, right? So that's pretty distant in the future. Um, verse 27 says, I, Daniel, was exhausted and lay ill for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision, and it was beyond my understanding. So, so how do we respond to this real quickly? How do we respond to all of this history, all these things that happen? Well, number one is this. We must realize that in view of remembering that history is God's story, right? It's his story. That God has a plan for human history, okay? God's, the God didn't just get the world spinning and then let it go, right? He has a plan. He, it's very obvious back here that he had a very detailed plan for how things would work out. There's no reason for us to believe that God does not have a detailed plan, for how things are working out. And he will make it happen down to the smallest detail. Here's the question for you and me. Are you prepared? Are you prepared for that? Are you prepared for whatever God brings our way? I mean, are you prepared if in God's plan he decides that, you know what, as wonderful as our country is, if he just decides, hey, that, that you had a good run, that's enough? Are, are, you, are you prepared for that? Will, will your faith stay solid no matter what happens in terms of the, the daily news cycle? Or do you get so caught up in all of that, that 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 what worries you and causes you anxiety is what's happening every moment as things aren't going your way? Because let me tell you, if you can't handle some news, right, then when... then before Christ returns and all these crazy things are happening, man, you're going, to be, you're going to be in a mess. But if you're depending on the Lord, man, then you have a firm foundation no matter what happens. In Psalms 33, verses 10 to 11, it says, the Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord will stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. You know what is the purpose of God's heart? You. This whole plan is not to just write a cool story with all kinds of crazy things going on. At the center of the story is you and me and the relationship that God wants to have with every single one of us. And God has a plan for all of history, and that plan will include eventually a day when Christ will return, and those who call him Lord will be with him forever in heaven. Are you prepared for that? If you're prepared for that, there's no reason to fear. There's no reason to fear anything that happens in this world, but you have to be prepared. The second thing is this, there is a spiritual battle going on. Now, if you haven't recognized that in our world today, then maybe you've been asleep in a different way. When things get crazy, when things are happening in our world that seem to oppose the advance of the gospel, we don't know what God is up to. Just like, just like the Greek empire coming through, God may be setting something else up down the road. We have no idea, but here's the thing that we have to trust. He's in control of it. When things seem to be going crazy, things did not spin out of control outside of the will of God. 
It's all still happening according to his plan and his purpose. The question is, are you living in his plan and his purpose? Because the third thing that we really want to think about is this, is God has a plan for spreading the gospel, and that includes us. You see, God has a great plan for the rest of human history, and that plan does include you. And it includes me. He has always used his people to take the message of hope to the rest of the world. And what worries me is so much of the time we as followers of Jesus Christ, we kind of want to sit back, take it all in and say, okay, I'm glad I'm a Christian. I'm glad I got all this. I'm saved. Woo! I'm good. Right? But here's the reality. If that's you... God doesn't want you to just like sit quietly and comfortably until you safely arrive at heaven. God God wants to include you in his incredible plan to take the gospel of salvation to the rest of the world. Now that may be your neighbors or that may be people in Cambodia or Africa or who knows where. But the question is, are, are we part of his program? Or are we just kind of sitting back missing the point? And, and, and I want to encourage you to think about, are you aligning your life with the plans and purposes of God? Or are you just trying to enjoy this as much as you can? And again, I, I'm not, I, I, I don't want to belittle the fact that we, we should have joy. We, we should enjoy the blessings God has given to us. We really should enjoy this life, but only under the idea that, you know what? We're part of the plans and purposes of the almighty King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he wants people everywhere to hear about his great love and his great compassion and his great hope for the future, and there is nothing greater than we could do with our lives than to see that happen to make sure that everyone is ready when the Lord returns. So, today, will you resolve to let God use you however he sees fit and to use you to advance his kingdom and the message of hope to the world? Today, I want to ask you, just resolve to invite somebody to the picnic next week, right? pretty easy way to get somebody to show up for church and in a a very easy way go, okay, these crazy people aren't so bad after all. But God made all of this possible because he sent his son. And he demonstrated to us the incredible love that he had for us when he sent Jesus, which was part of his plan to show you and me that he loved us enough that he would give his very own son so that we could have eternal life. You see, at the core of that plan of human history is you. And God's hope that you would say yes to Jesus and make him Lord of your life. And if you haven't done that yet this morning, my encouragement to you would be, don't leave this place till you're absolutely sure. Because who knows what can go on out there. But right now, if you haven't made Jesus Lord, I want to encourage you, take care of that today. Because then, no matter what happens tomorrow or the next day or the next day, 
all the way into eternity, you've got a Father who's got you. So make sure that you're right with Him. Jesus gave His life to make it possible. So together, let's take our communion, the bread that represents Jesus' broken body, let's take that uh, together. And then there's the cup that represents Jesus' shed blood that forgave our sins. Let's take that together as well. During this next song as we sing, if you, uh, if you want to talk to somebody about what it means to make Jesus Lord, if you want to have somebody pray with you, we'll have some of our elders here, we'll have some people in the back, or just stick around later, because we would love to make sure today that you know for sure that Jesus is Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the day. Thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for the incredible stories of history that teach us, Father, above, above everything else, that God, you're a God who is in control, and God, we don't need to worry. And Father, you have things handled very, very well. And Father, we pray that, Lord God, we would trust you, that we would trust you more, trust you with our lives. And Father, we pray that you would use us to help people know our Savior, Jesus. We love you, Lord, and thank you in the powerful name of the one who saves us, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to the NPFCC Messages podcast. If you'd like to support the work of our church, head to npfcc.org give to make a one-time or reoccurring gift. For more information about us, you can always check out our website at npfcc.org. Again, that's npfcc.org.